Good morning. Uh, my name is Jason Tyrell. I'm one of the elders here at Joy. I have the privilege of bringing the word this morning. It's good to worship with you. Uh, good to hear the kids singing at the beginning of the service. And we're going to get to end this service celebrating baptism. A lot going on this morning, all, all to the praise of God's glory. <clears throat> Peace and joy. If I were to ask each of you, and probably most of the world, oh, I've got to solve this problem. I can't see Noah Lazarus. <laughs> Not going to work. If I were to ask each of you and, and most of the world what things you would most like to truly have and would love to see in the world around you, my guess that there are three possible answers I'd get, and two of them are peace and joy. This time of year we sing a lot about peace and joy. Our call to worship this morning was the angel's annunciation of Jesus' birth. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This day in the city of David, a Savior is born. Christ the Lord. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. Yet, uh, peace and joy seem so difficult to attain at times, don't they? So elusive to hold on to. What bedrocks do we build upon for a lasting peace? A lasting joy? This morning we continue through the book of Acts. And we're in Acts chapter 15. This morning we're going to talk about the conclusion of the work of the Jerusalem Council whose decision brought peace and joy to the early church. Last week we considered verses 1-21. through 21. Uh, Really, we finished up in, in verse 19. Some people had come from Jerusalem to the church at Antioch teaching the people that even if they had believed in the Lord Jesus, even if they had responded to the Gospel message in faith, they could not be saved unless they were circumcised and submitted themselves to the Mosaic Covenant. A covenant of works that would lead to righteousness, except for the fact that it never led to righteousness. This was troubling and potentially devastating to the young church, which was made up of both Jewish and non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And a, a group was sent to Jerusalem to appeal to the apostles and the elders there for a decisive word on this matter. Paul and Barnabas had been bringing good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And they thought they were seeing evidence of, of God's gracious work among these people. Had they been wrong? Was the work incomplete? Were they now to put the Gentile converts under Jewish law? If so, then the good news was no longer good because it was incomplete. So the council gathered and there was much debate from all sides. And then Peter and James spoke clearly and decisively on the matter. The Lord was saving the Gentiles the same way He had saved them. By grace alone. Through faith alone. 
in Christ alone. This was always His plan. This morning we pick up with the resolution of the council and their communication to the church at Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. And by extension, I said this last week, but I want to reiterate, this decision, this wasn't like just a pattern for how churches should make decisions about things that they debate about. There is something in there about that. But this was a once-for-all decision that resonates down to this very gathering. The decision of this council that the gospel of grace is what saves and it alone saves resonates to this gathering today. And I see in this passage this morning a strong focus on peace. Our God is a God of peace. Not not peace, peace where there is no peace. Lots of people, and sadly many churches exist this way, fake peace based on ignoring the truth, based on worldly affinities, based on self-help. Real peace finds its grounding in truth. Namely, the truth of the Gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so I hope this morning by God's grace to show us real peace manifested in a few ways in this text. The council is going to write a letter and they're going to send some ambassadors to proclaim in voice and in writing the decision that they made. We're going to consider the peace of the council. We're going to consider the truth about peace with God. And then the truth, or sorry, then the peace of the body of Christ. So the peace of the council, the truth about peace with God, and the peace of the body of Christ. When we know we are at peace with God, when we live out the reality of our peace with one another, the Holy Spirit grants the Lord's people adorable peace in the midst of life's storms. It's the thing that we long for. Let's read. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't even tell you. We're, we're reading Acts 15. Uh, we're going to actually start in verse 19. We're going to read through verse 35. If you're using the Bibles that were in front of you, they're on, it's on page 924. Starting in verse 19. And this is uh, James, the apostle, speaking at the beginning of this. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim Him. For He has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, 
who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it it does resonate uh, with me and my heart, my spirit, what Larry shared with us a few minutes ago. Uh, We we need you. Don't need uh, clever speech, eloquent words. Uh, We need you. We need your Holy Spirit to work. So I pray that my words would be faithful to your word, that our hearts would be soft and receptive to your word, to your gospel word to us this morning. Uh, Prepare us to hear your word. And I thank you, Father, that uh, your word is going out in many places this day. And we just pray for your strength and blessing upon those faithful brothers who are bringing the word in our community, uh, in our nation, and in our world, that they would boldly declare the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you would do your work among us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the council concludes after much debate and discussion, and I I said this last week, I'm not going to belabor it again, but it is worth mentioning again. This council convened, and there was debate. There was debate. They They were able to hear both sides of the matter. There is blessing in debate done rightly. Even within the church, there is blessing in that. In hearing all sides of a matter. Weighing a matter according to Scripture. We have lost that in our society. But it is worth saying again, that is not a bad thing. Godly debate. But it is good for us to see also, especially in matters of utmost importance, like the question of how is a person saved? The council does not, at the end of this, say, all right, thanks for bringing this Paul and Barnabas. And our conclusion is, I don't know. I don't know. You know they've, they've got some good points. You've got some good points. And good people disagree about things like this. So, Godspeed. They come to a decisive answer, right? There are matters many of them, where we can come to the conclusion that good people do not see it exactly the same. Godly people do not see it exactly the same. This was not one of them. It would have been the most unloving thing that this council could have concluded if they said different good people see this this differently. Truth must prevail. They come to a decision and they do it together. Luke mentions in verse 22, then it seemed good 
to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. This decision was a decision from the whole church. And it was communicated as such. It was led by the apostles and elders. But whatever conclusions they came to, they came to together. And it was now a settled matter. It was not open for debate any longer. This was the decision of the whole church. And later in verse 25, in the letter, they say, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord. So the council, remember, this is our, our first point is the council was at peace. They, they were in full agreement with one another. We are unified. We are at peace. And it is a settled matter. No further discussion. And those who are teaching or believing something contrary to what we have decided must either submit to this teaching and silence their own or be considered an outsider. There is no longer any place for it within the church. This council, this decision, made the matter of what are the requirements for salvation a settled matter for all time. Forever. Right up to this very moment. This was ultimately the matter of first importance in the Protestant Reformation, right? By what means is a person saved? How can a person be declared righteous before God? Is salvation by grace through faith plus works? Or is salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone? If a person or church, this is important for us to hear, if a person or church sees this matter differently than the Jerusalem council decided, they are in error. They are not bringing the message of salvation. They are not believing the message of salvation. If salvation is grace plus works, if that's what's being taught, that's heresy. The Gospel is the message of the free grace of God for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation by any other means is a false Gospel. And, and I know that we all know people who are either expressing a Gospel that is different or in places where they're hearing a Gospel that is not that. And we always want to believe the best, right? About oh, they're, they're okay, they're going to be okay. They're we do well to warn those in our lives who are in these places. If you're being saturated with something different than what the Jerusalem Council decided, salvation is by grace plus. Salvation is by works. That's dangerous. And it may sound harsh for me to say that. You might be like, who are you to judge what, you know, my friends who go to this, this church or that church and they hear that grace plus works. It may sound harsh. 
But being right about the question of how somebody is saved and right with God, telling somebody, oh yeah, you're, you're just about as right as I am about this, when they're wrong, that's not loving. That's actually hateful. To say to a person, eh, you're close, you're close. You're off on the matter of most eternal importance. The council came to this conclusion and then they were going to send a delegation back to Antioch. Uh, it reminded me of, of Proverbs 25.25 which says, like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. The church at Antioch, you know, we, we read these things. Oh, Acts chapter 15. All right. Somebody came and taught. Then Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem and then they gave them this message. It all happens within the span of 30 seconds. This church has been waiting. They were troubled. They were troubled by these teachers who were coming in and telling them that you got to be circumcised. You got to submit yourself to the Mosaic law. They send off Paul and Barnabas, how far is Jerusalem from Antioch? It's about 300 miles. What type of car were they using back then? They were gone for a long time. Let's say months. And the church at Antioch, we don't get what happens in between, but certainly they were waiting. They were waiting to hear the decision on this matter. And, and the church at Jerusalem sends this man, Judas called Barsabbas. Does that name sound familiar to you? In Acts chapter 1, you meet a guy called, uh, what's his name? Joseph called Barsabbas. We're going to assume that they're brothers. Probably. Barsabbas would be the last name of this guy. Uh, so... So we got Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, who Paul refers to elsewhere in his letters as Silvanus. Uh, they're sent to go with Paul and Barnabas to bring the letter and tell the people the news. Theoretically, they could have just sent Paul and, Bar or Paul and Barnabas and sent them with a letter that says, yeah, keep preaching the gospel you're preaching. You're good. But they didn't do that. They send Two of their leading men, it says, right? They, they, they were in verse 22. It says, leading men among the brothers. They send them with Paul and Barnabas for what appears to be at least a decent amount of time. So they spent some time there. They strengthened and encouraged the church there. And they send them in support of Paul and Barnabas who in the letter they label as men who have risked their lives for the name of What's that next word? Our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a carefully selected word. They're sending these men back to say, we are one. We are in support of the message you have heard. We agree with the message. They say in the letter, we have heard that some persons have gone out from among us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave no instructions. We talked about this last week. But to a people of troubled hearts and unsettled minds, good news comes. 
good news comes. Implicit in this passage, implicit in everything that happens in this passage, they send uh, Judas and Silas with Paul and Barnabas. They send this letter of encouragement. Implicit in this whole passage is the gospel you heard is the right one. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Troubled hearts be troubled no longer. Imagine if somebody walked in here, preached a gospel that was different than the one you hear, and then said, all right, see, if you don't believe that, you're probably not right with God. Actually, you're not right with God. Thank you for having me. And then we had to appeal to some higher council, didn't have the Word of God to, to appeal to or whatever it may be, and we had to wait months and months and months for the decision of this council these people have been of troubled heart and troubled mind for months and then they hear be troubled no more unsettled minds be unsettled no more it has seemed good to the holy spirit and to us that is the holy spirit has made it clear both in his tangible work, right? Peter, when he's talking to the council, he's like, listen, you know me. You know my work among the Gentiles. We know that when Peter went among the Gentiles, he didn't want it to go. But when he preached the gospel, the same stuff happened to the Gentiles that happened to the Jewish believers on the day of Pentecost. And so this council saying, it appears that the Holy Spirit is working in the same exact way among all of us through the proclamation of the Gospel. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The Holy Spirit made it clear through both His tangible work in your lives and the unanimous support of the Council. That is one way that the Holy Spirit works among a people. There is wisdom in an abundance of counselors. The Holy Spirit shows off His work in the united work of the church. And it seemed good to us to let you know that the Lord saves without distinction by grace through faith in Christ. If you have your Bibles open, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read a passage. I just think this passage really captures the heart of what's, what's happening here in this young church. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, 
who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. I think that that passage captures the declaration of the Jerusalem Council that we're all in Christ one. He's abolished the law of commandments. And we are united in Him. He preached peace. Jesus preached peace. The Gospel is the Gospel of peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Gentile and Jew. He's torn down the dividing wall. Made us one in Him. Saved in the same way. Peace to you who are far off. And peace to you who are near. Peace with God. Do you know peace with God? Not, not me and God have an understanding. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do really good and He's going to accept me. Not I'm at peace with God on my terms. But real peace with God. There is only one way. There is only one way to be at peace with God. To be at peace with God means that though He stands to judge all people one day, we need not fear His judgment. When we see Him face to face, we will not be destroyed as we deserve, but lovingly brought into eternal fellowship with Him and worship of Him. Peace with God means that though the storms of this life rage around us, we are able to stand firm knowing that our hope is secure. And that peace comes through no other way than the Lord Jesus Himself. We celebrate the Advent. We celebrate Jesus coming to earth fully eternal God and fully earthly man conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary. And Jesus was the perfect law keeper. He did fulfill the law of Moses. He fulfilled the Mosaic law in every way. He perfectly loved God. He perfectly loved others. He lived without sin. And His primary word to us first and foremost this morning is not be more like Me. It's come to Me. Come to Me. He will make us more like Him in Him. But His primary word to us, His first word to us is come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
This perfect Jesus was falsely accused. He was convicted of blasphemy. He was crucified on a Roman cross. And we didn't understand that He was actually suffering and dying for our sins. Getting circumcised is not going to fix your sin problem. Being obedient is not going to fix your sin problem because God demands perfect obedience to be declared righteous. Bad news for you, that ship has sailed. Repeatedly. Today. But Jesus died to pay the penalty that our sins have merited. Jesus died as the perfect sacrificial lamb shed His blood for our pardon. And when He died, He said, it is finished. Put that in the context of this passage, right? He said, it is finished. And people are coming to these these new believers and saying, it's not finished. It's not finished. There's more you got to do. Imagine how troubling that would be for a heart and mind. But Jesus said, it is finished finished sin was once and for all time atoned for for all who would believe in him that same jesus rose on the third day he rose from the dead he rose in victory over sin and death he rose that all who look to him in faith will be called sons and daughters of god and have the hope of eternal life with him and through him For all time, He even now ever lives at the right hand of God and intercedes. He stands in the gap for all whose trust is in Him. His perfect life is counted as ours. His sacrificial death is counted on our behalf. And His resurrection ensures that our eternal hope is not not pie in the sky. Hear that today. If you're here visiting with us, if you're here, you're not sure what you believe, I want it to be really clear. We say Jesus rose from the dead. We, we mean it. We believe that to be true. That is our hope. If He did not really rise from the dead, then this is, just, this is just a show. It was a fun show where you got to see some kids sing and we lied to you for an hour and a half. But we believe that Jesus did rise from the dead. This is the beauty of the Christmas story, right? Him coming here means nothing if He didn't rise from the dead. This is the good news of great joy. This is the true Gospel that Christ died for us and was raised for us that we would be found in Him if our trust is in Him. So you can imagine how amazingly blessed and encouraged these people would have been to receive this message from Jerusalem, right? These people who had been troubled, told to question their experience of salvation, questioned the very message by which they had been saved. They're now put at rest. All of us are needy people saved by the grace of God alone through faith in Christ alone. We're going to have the privilege of celebrating that truth in Cole's life in a few minutes. You've got to stick with me for a few more minutes. Sorry. Because there's one more thing that I want us to tackle. There's one final matter in this passage 
that needs to be explored. And it's referenced in verses 20 and 21. I told you I was going to get back to them. And in the letter in verses 28 and 29. To a group of believers. So this letter goes to this group of believers. And they said, we are determined to trouble you no further. Right? We want you to know that the gospel you believe is the gospel. And then they seem to trouble them further. Right? Like, what is the deal? James lists some items in verse 20. Abstain from things polluted by idols. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from what has been strangled and from blood. It's reiterated in the letter. And curiously, in verse 21, we have this statement, for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim Him. For He is read in every, every Sabbath in the synagogues. The connecting word for makes it clear that it's supposed to be tied to what was said before it. So what does that mean? Don't do these things because Moses gets read in the synagogues every, every week. All over the place. And how does this jive with, that, with not troubling them any further? Now face value, it seems like they're saying works don't save you, but here's some works you need to do to make sure you're saved. Some commentators historically have said that they, the council decided, all right, they don't have to keep all of the Mosaic Law, but we're going to give them a few things from the Mosaic Law that they need to keep. It is my humble belief that that is wrong. That that's not what's happening in this passage. Context-wise, they don't make sense. It would be really weird for, for them to say, we are saved by grace through faith, but also here's some Mosaic law for you to, to try to accomplish. Really strange. So what is being said? Well, I think the Apostle Paul said what I'd like to say in one verse. I'm going to say it more because it's just what I do. But Galatians 5.13. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Last week I read the first six verses of Galatians chapter 5 where Paul reminds the believer that it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That we are not under the yoke of the law which Peter emphasized in this chapter in Acts 15 in verses 10 and 11. We're not going to put these people back under the yoke of the law that we couldn't keep. Why would we put them under the same yoke we could never keep? Paul says in Galatians 5, if you submit yourself to the law, you're cut off from Christ. If you're trying to attain your righteousness by law keeping, you are cut off from grace. But later in that same chapter, he says, you've been, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Only, don't use your freedom to destroy another brother or sister in Christ. Through love, serve one another. Paul tells the Galatian believers, and I believe we're being instructed here, use your freedom to love and serve one another. Not to flaunt your freedoms. Not to use it as an excuse 
to hurt the faith of another brother or sister. The Jerusalem Council is encouraging the Gentile believers to serve their Jewish brothers and sisters by staying away from cult temple feasts. That's the essence of this path. The instructions. All these things that they're being asked to, to stay away from are related to worship of foreign gods in temple feasts. And so, the council is telling them, listen, Moses is read in the synagogues all over the known world. And if you have some who come to Christ who are Jewish believers, and they see you walking into this pagan temple, partaking in a pagan festival to a God who is not a God, you are going to cause their faith to be hindered. You're going to cause them to stumble. So we ask you, we ask you, brothers and sisters, Gentile believers, to not put a stumbling block in the way of your fellow believers. Aside from the obvious disgrace of worshiping foreign gods that are not gods, of, gods at all, these feasts were filled with wicked behavior and pagan sacrifice. It would have been devastating for some to see their fellow brother or sister to walk in, even if it was a person whose conscience was clear. They're like, I'm not worshiping this God. I'm coming here for, for you know, a steak dinner. They're being encouraged to use their freedom in Christ for the good of others. We are not under the yoke of the law in Christ. Law-keeping will not make us right with God. And I'm going to say something that might sound scandalous. I hope it doesn't. For those whose faith is in Christ, those who are children of God by grace through faith filled with the Holy Spirit of God, there is nothing you can do to make yourself not God's child. There is no sin beyond the forgiveness of Christ. And there is no time where God looks at you and says, not mine anymore. That is the extent of the freedom that you have in Christ. For those who are free, who know true freedom in Christ, there is a blessedness to using our freedom for the good of others. Where have you demanded your own freedoms at the cost of someone else's faith? Where have you demanded your own rights at the cost of somebody else's growth or prosperity in Christ? There is joy... These people received this letter. What was the reaction when they got this letter? What's it say they did? Verse 31. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. They rejoiced because of its encouragement. There is joy in worshiping God by serving His people. Not demanding our own rights, but serving others. They rejoiced at this letter because it encouraged their hearts. It assured their faith. And I, I, elsewhere 
You know, and Paul talks in Galatians 2 about when he went up to the brothers earlier, I believe it was earlier anyway, probably in Acts chapter 11, to make sure that they were preaching the right gospel, that they hadn't run in vain. And he said, uh, they told you know, they clarified that, that, that the gospel we were preaching was the right gospel. They just asked us to remember the poor. And what does Paul say? It was the very thing we were eager to do. There was, there was a rejoicing, and yes, yes, okay. We're on the right track. The gospel we have is right. And we do want to serve one another. We do love one another. We want to lay our rights down for the good of one another. And we remember this morning as we move toward the time of baptism. When we're called to that type of service by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the grace of the Lord Jesus, I just want us to remember this morning our Lord whom we have gathered to worship. All the rights that our Lord Jesus had as fully God, He laid them down. He came in a lowly manger to a family of no repute in a town of no repute. He was raised in a town of ill repute. And He lived a life of service for you. He knew what it was to sacrifice the rights He had for the blessing of others. It was His joy to do so. He served His disciples by washing their feet. Even the feet of the traitor Judas. But really, who among us hasn't been a traitor? His service went further still as He laid down His rights he laid down his innocence and he laid down his life for the great good of all who would believe in him. He could have demanded it go differently. He could have asserted his rights and he did not. The baby in the manger served us with all that he is to make us free that we might be declared free and clean. He served us. He served us by sending His Holy Spirit to empower us to freely serve one another with the same sacrificial heart. That is the blessing and peace that the Jerusalem Council forged. A peace together as a council a reminder that peace with God comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the peace, the dividing wall that had, had separated the Jewish and Gentile believers, torn down in the Gospel of grace. And in that peace, by His grace, they were called to lay down their own rights for the good of the whole. He came to bring peace for His glory and for our joy. All praise is His. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we give You thanks that because of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace with You. If there are those here today who, are, who do not know the peace, the hope that comes through faith in Christ's finished work, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection, hope of glory, 
Lord, would you work in hearts today? For those of us who know that peace, would you grant us the grace? Remind us that everything we have is all from you, all of grace. And in the knowledge of our freedom in Christ, help us to use our freedoms to love one another, to seek the good of our neighbor and the good of our brother and sister. We thank you for all this, and we pray now uh, and thank you for the blessing of celebrating a baptism. We pray for your blessing on Cole as he'll come up before us in a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen.